Hello and welcome to the Comedian's Paradise. This is a podcast where we speak to some of the most intriguing and fascinating creators and performers from across the entertainment and comedy world. Now today's guest, how can I say, he's, a, he's an Englishman like me. He's a man who's not from the cities, but from, from a quiet quintessential village who's gone to America and he is there. He's, he's interviewed some of the best clowns, including ones that help with your mental health, circus clowns, theater clowns. He is named Barnaby King. He's a king of clown. He runs so many courses, he's got clown spirit. He's got the, one of the best, how can I say it? They're one of the best clown podcasts in the entire world. Please welcome Barnaby King. <laughs> I like that. I've, one of the best clown podcasts in the entire world. Oh, maybe it's the only clown podcast. The best, the, the best, world. the best. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. I really appreciate it, Marvin. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to have you here calling all the way, I'm guessing, from Washington. Is that right? Well, I'm actually in Oregon, which is I I, I can see Washington State um, across the gorge from me through my window right here. So I'm right on the edge. Ah, OK, so you, you can have a chat with Joe Biden here and then, right? Different Washington, though. That That's, oh. you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's a clown moment there. <laughs> Oh, we're con- we're getting our Washingtons confused. Uh, let's make sure that George Washington knows, okay? <laughs> yeah. Or well, I think they're both. I think they're both named after George Washington. So a fair mistake, I guess. But that's the reason. Of- yes, that's what they're saying. <laughs> yeah, I <bet> you are. <laughs> but one of them's a giant state, uh, and one of them's a, just a city. And the- where I live is in Oregon, which is on the west coast of the United States bordering the state of Washington and, and the state of Oregon. So I'm in the beautiful wild west of the United States. Don't ask me how I ended up here. I, I know that you're going to ask me that now. <laughs> I, I, so how did you come across in America? <laughs> I walked straight into that one, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> you did. Well, well, you know, like all good stories, love is... Uh, the heart of it um you know basically i was well the the long do you want the long story or the short story <laughs> let's do let's do the long story let's do that all right then so it, i was in my 20s and i i discovered clowning and i thought clowning was the best thing so i made i decided to make a clown show and uh, it was called flawed genius and flawed genius by the way um, doesn't really translate into American because if you say flawed in America, they think it has to do with, you know, carpets and vinyl and f- floors. <laughs> flawed, like F L O O R E D, right? Because of the the way that they say, would say that word, flawed genius. So whenever I say the title of my show, people think I'm talking about floors, but it's actually F L A W, right? Floor, which we say the same. So just say floor and floor, Marvin. Is it, uh, do you say them the same? Floor. Floor, exactly. Floor and floor. But in America, it's floor. Blah. 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 <laughs> so in America, my show is Flawed Genius. 
So anyway, that was that was digression. I'm sorry. My show was called Flawed Genius, uh, and I was the flawed genius. And you know, it was a clown show. Um, and I toured the Canadian fringe circuit back in 2004 ish. Um, and at the, and you go east to west. And at the very end, I was in Vancouver, which is on the west coast of Canada, doing my show. And I had this had these friends who wanted me to come down to Portland, Oregon, to do my show there at the end of the tour. Now, I'd always had this idea of this desire to go to Portland, right? Because I don't know if you've heard of, about Portland, but it's always had this reputation as being really cool, creative, artsy, hippie kind of uh, happening place. A little bit like you might think of Brighton in the UK. It's kind of got a little bit of that or Bristol, maybe, you know, it's, it's kind of a little bit alternative, um, a lot of creativity and, and art and stuff going on. So I was like, yeah, sure. I'll go to Portland. And, and I, so I went to Portland, did my show and uh, you know, there was this woman, <laughs> right. In the audience who loved my show. And it just happened that she was also studying performance and so we did took some workshops um went to some workshops together and hung out and you know the rest is history i won't go into too much gory detail but um we spent quite a bit of time together during those those weeks and i went back to england she came out to visit me in england she went back again i came out to portland again to visit her we went back and forth quite a bit until the immigration people said hey what are you doing you can't keep going back and forth and back and forth like this and we we're like okay well we better get married then so uh we got married and i ended up moving to america you know and and this was in in some ways a great idea right because life is an adventure and uh you just seize you seize the day right carpe diem i mean that's always been my philosophy it's like if a door opens Go through it because it's fun. See what's going to happen because life is short and you may as well in, just take all the opportunities. So the, falling in love with somebody in America seemed like a great, exciting adventure. Um, but then there's, that, then there's that tricky element to it, which is, oh, I that means that one of us always has to live in a country that's not our home. Um, and it's always felt a bit like that. And so we lived for a while in Chicago. I did a PhD. Um, you can come back and ask me about these things later if you want, because they're kind of interesting in themselves. But I did a PhD in in performance studies and clowning was my um, was my topic sort of, of research. And I studied clowns in Colombia in particular in South America. So there's this whole South American adventure that I went on. And then we came back and lived in the UK for a while. And I taught clowning in the university and then... Four years ago, we went to Colombia with by that by now we have kids, by the way. I missed out that part, but we had we have kids. We went to Colombia for a year with the kids that they could learn Spanish. And then guess what? COVID hit middle whenever that was, 2019. And uh and we've managed to get out of Colombia miraculously and went to the States. And we've been here ever since. So we've been here for about three years. And the short version of the story is, you know, I'm married to an American. <laughs> That's why I'm here. 
Yeah, that, that, that's that's what happens, guys. See, this is what clowning does. It makes you find love. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I when you know when I first met this person, this woman, it was actually just I met her before she'd seen the show, and we kind of liked each other already. She knew she liked me, and she said she told me afterwards she was really scared that she wasn't going to like the show when she came to see it. Because if she didn't like the show, there was no way that, you know, we could date. And so I was really lucky, I guess, that she laughed a lot and she really liked the show. And it wasn't because I think this is the thing, Marvin, people have this expectation of this idea about clowning and what it is. And there's particularly in America, there's a lot of associations around creepiness and scariness of clowns. And so when people see my clowning or they take my clown workshop or they see my stuff online, they're see often seeing something that's very surprising to them and a different side of clowning that they're, they're not expecting. Hmm. And what was the, so you mentioned before that how clowners have you found loves and it's helped you fuck and it's brought you kids as well. It's brought you a lot of, lot of things, but what was the thing that made you become a clown? Did you go to a circus and that was that you were amazed by, amazed by the silliness of it? Well, what was the thing that made you go, right, I want to be a clown? Yeah. You know, I, I'm going to get really psychological on, on this one because um, I do ask myself that question quite often. There wasn't any real obvious moment where I saw a clown and loved them or, you know, I didn't grow up loving clowns on, on the screen or in life particularly. Um, but I think I did, like, I always was involved in theater and acting and performing. So I love sort of being on stage. And there was something about being able to captivate an audience and hold an audience on my own. That's really, um, what's the word? Uh, exciting, compelling, addictive terrifying um you know you want to keep doing it and it's a very compelling exciting experience right you know this as a as a solo performer when you're when you've actually got the audience there in the palm of your hand and they're with you and you're connected with them it's a kind of transcendent sacred experience i think in some ways it's a little bit like being a priest or a shaman or a you know some spiritual or religious leader or figure like the way that there's this kind of like transcendent transformative ritual that you're kind of engaged in together and you're kind of you're not manipulating people but you're leading them through this through this transformative experience that lasts an hour or or even if it's just 10 minutes whatever it's a very unique and privileged position to hold you know, being that one person on stage. And when I first, ever, the first, so really the turning point was when I took this one clown workshop with Sue Morrison. And she's, she's somebody that's worth talking to. She's based in Toronto and she taught, uh, sorry, she learned her clowning from a guy named Richard Pachinko in the eighties. And Richard is quite well known um, in, in Canada and the US 
he his story is quite interesting because he went to Lecoq and studied with Lecoq and studied that whole kind of um, mask uh, tradition of of clowning and the commedia and so on. And then he also he came back to Canada and he studied with Native American clown guides and learned a kind of ritual Native American approach to clowning. And he created a method that combines those two things. So you're learning the kind of theatrical side of clowning, but you're also learning this kind of deep channeling of these sacred spiritual energies and clowning as a kind of deep intro introspection and as a, also as a social function, right? That societies need communities and societies need clowns to keep them balanced and cleansed. Um, so in Europe, you know, maybe, and, and it's certainly in America, we may have lost touch with this deep resonance and connection and, and need for the clown. And in Native American societies, that is still, even now, quite present in this in this figure of the clown. So Richard Pachinko developed this thing, and he taught it to various people. And Sue Morrison, who was one of his students, now has her own clown school, and she teaches this thing called Clown Through Mask. And I took his workshop with her in the UK, in Leeds, in like 2000, somewhere around there. And it just tra transformed my understanding of what clowning even was, right? Because I thought of it, like most people, as kind of just a kind of comedy uh, or just a kind of ch children's entertainment or a circus entertainer or party entertainer, these kinds of things. And I didn't have any concept of this deeper um, sacred function of the clown as a sort of spiritual guide or as a shaman, as a, as a healer. And when I took that workshop and I stood in front of, you know, one of the kind of basic exercises in many clown workshops is just is putting on the red nose um, and coming out in front of the rest of the class. And with her, this was a, this was a transcendent experience for me when I got to do this, well, not just when me, when I got to do it, but watching the others do it too, completely silent, just standing in front of the audience with the red nose and a hat and just breathing and, and working, looking at people, connecting with them through eye, through eye contact and letting your body just kind of breathe and be and relax and move through these different emotional states. And people, people would cry. People would, people would, get very, very emotional standing up there and cry or or have these crazy kind of epiphanies or experiences. And the audience, as an audience, you're just going through it with them. You're so connected to them. And it's not just about laughter. It's about all the, this whole range of different emotions. And I realized, oh, clowning is is what I've been looking for. It's It's like theater, but it's connected with this spiritual truth and personal journey it's so intense and it's so meaningful and powerful and I just sort of then knew that that was felt I felt that was my journey you know to to, to kind of pursue clowning as a practice and as an art form and that's what I've been sort of doing ever since more and more hmm. and it's because people have such a big misunderstanding of clowning and you know 
I'll be honest, my, my understanding of clowning is very limited because I just went to goalie school and I haven't gone into mm. around it. Um, I know that there's, for the classic and the basic, there's generally, there's like four types of clowns or something like that. Like you've got the, the August clown, you've got the tramp, you've got the clown mask, something like that. They, they, and then you've got, like you've got, theater and you mentioned like circus and you mentioned how it's therapeutic would you be able to break these down for like a layman like what are the main types of clowns mm. and like how the different types of clowning genres differ yeah i mean i don't think there's any one way of of, of distinguishing or separating things but one way is um uh to think of the function of it right is 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 the function of it to to disturb things politically right for example like that's one very old tradition within within clowning is the the court jester or the fool the holy fool or and, and native american clowns fall into this as well you know the the ability to speak truth to power and there's political protest clowning is is still strong today. Um, Robin Hambrook is a person in in Bristol who's doing a lot of work around that. There was an organization called Clandestine Insurgent Rebel Clown Army, or Circa for short, which existed for a number of years and I think maybe still exists in some small pockets. Um, and they would go to g8 summits and this kind of thing big big political rally events and they would clown in protest um so clowning for protest for me is one your political clowning you might say is one big genre or one big area we could talk about um in fact Marvin, I, I have a course called the Clown Connection, which is kind of my flagship signature course that I teach online. And there's eight units. And in a way, each of those eight units covers a different, uh, the way I see it, a different genre or approach to clowning. So I could go through those. So political clowning is is one of those. It's one one, I cover that in one of the units of the course political protest clowning um then another one is this tradition of the sacred clown which i think lies at the heart of everything um and comes not only out of native american culture but many cultures around the world have these exa have examples of these sort of sacred shaman clowns um who are kind of like lightning rods for for spiritual energies i would say you know and are like the trickster figure in mythology they are considered both men and gods they're sort of like go betweens between the sacred space the divine and the earthly um so yeah so there's the whole tradition of of the sacred or the ritual clown um then another another tradition that I think is very interesting that, that that exists today also is 
related to the political, but but it's more um, this idea of the of the jester or the fool. And the jester or fool is often a joke teller. Um, so I think of these as quite closely related to stand-up in a way. I think stand-up is the closest that we have to that sort of tradition today. You know, there's, there's a, a banter, a wittiness, uh, a spontaneity, um, and, and a use of wordplay and language and jokes um, and a lot of interaction with the audience. Um, so there's that whole tradition. And I think it's quite interesting thinking about the relationship between stand-up and clowning, um, which is something you're, you know, you've, you've been exploring. Um, so political, sacred, the, the jester. Then another area that I cover I, is called existential clowning. I call it existential clowning. I think you could also call it um, um, theatrical clowning. I think it's in a way similar to theatrical clowning, existential clowning. I call it that because I think there's this sort of poetic quality to it. Um, so clowns who are trying to do, you know, trying to create beautiful things, like a poem is a beautiful thing, right? A show, a theater show that's crafted and it's maybe scripted and it has some props and costume and it's, and maybe sound and music. And it's, it's, it's got that theatrical quality to it, you know, of, of being crafted like a, like a piece of art. It doesn't have that rawness and roughness of um, of street clowning, for example. You know, it's got a, a bit more of a polishedness quality to it. But also maybe in a, a desire to speak to philosophical themes or interesting existential themes like love, death, um, sex, <laughs> these kinds of things. Um, so there's that sort of existential theater clowning. Then another another theme that I cover, which I think speaks more to circus um, and variety, is logic, clown logic. Now, some clowning is driven by a kind of craft, a kind of technique that has to do with how to make an audience laugh on cue through a series of gags, often physical movements, using the body, using a combination of bodies and props, right? Slapstick. And this draws very much on the tradition of um, music hall, vaudeville, um, circus back from the 18th and 19th century, which were, you know, crossing over a lot with, with vaudeville and music hall. And then into the early 20th century, uh, it moves into the cinema, right? So Buster Keaton, Chaplin, Lloyd, um, uh, Harold Lloyd, Marx Brothers, you know, all this sort of tradition, Laurel and Hardy of, I mean, it, it's, it kind of gets, it, it, there's a blurry line with the existential theatrical clowning, but it's, it's more on the slapstick, how do we make an audience laugh? side of things it's it's entertainment it's variety it's in that kind of genre and you can learn that stuff as a kind of craft you know 
do this, do that, do that, repeat, repeat, change, rule of three, you know, how to make an audience laugh with the rhythm, with the tempo of a joke, with the, the way in the moment that you look at the audience. So that's another another category, clown, clown logic. And then I suppose, well, that's one, two, three, four, five. Uh, the sixth one that I would mention is um, therapeutic, right? So this is a relatively new category that's come in. Um, although it go, in some ways it speaks to the healing function of clowns, which has been around for thousands of years. But as a specific genre, hospital clowning has is, is fairly new, maybe since the 70s or 80s. Um, you know, Pat Adams made it very very famous um this Gesundheit Institute and the movie with Robin Williams and then a guy called Michael Christians Christensen who helped who was one of the co-founders of Big Apple Circus in New York created a thing called Clown Care Unit which was a part of the Big Apple Circus and this was a troop of clowns who would go out into hospitals and and entertain people and from there, you know, you see a proliferation of hospital clowning all over the world. There's a lot in Europe, there's a lot in Australia, in Canada, uh, Israel. And this is a, a genre of clowning in <coughs> itself, which follows its own rules. Although I would say very much, draw, you know, interconnected with all those other areas. But maybe the thing that defines it is that there's this kind of um you okay i've got a cough don't worry about me <laughs> have a drink a little drink of water do you want to grab a drink yeah uh, <clears throat> it should be okay don't worry <laughs> all right um yeah so therapeutic clowning you know is is defined by this environment of being in a hospital and what you have to be aware of in terms of the the illness that you're dealing with what what, what is ailing the, the patient what kind of limits there are around who what you can touch what you can do in that hospital environment you know the fact that the doctors and nurses are, are going around there doing their jobs and how to support them and not sort of undermine them um, it's a very interesting, challenging environment. It's a working environment. And you don't often see clowns doing that. You know, often clowns are in environments that are set up for them specifically, like a circus ring or a theater. And in a hospital, it's definitely not set up for them. It's a completely working, everyday sort of environment. And the clowns have to figure out how to intervene in a way that's beneficial and healthy in that in that environment so and related to, to to hospital clowning but still in the category of therapeutic you know is all the sort of humanitarian clowning like clowns without borders going to work in sort of crisis zones war zones around the world and and trying to bring a smile bring laughter bring lightness to places that are struggling people that are struggling which is in a way similar to hospital clowning but just slightly different 
So I don't know if that helps, but I think that there's sort of six, six broad categories, the political, sacred, uh, jester, je- slash fool, existential theater clowning, circus logic clowning, and um, therapeutic clowning. And what covers to to someone who's doesn't hasn't heard a clown before, and how do they all into they're all different categories of clowning, but what is the thing that defines them all? Like I know mm. I've had a few clowns on the podcast. Some of them say that clowning is when a clown tries to do something that's a little bit outside of their skill level, but they don't know it. But the audience know it and they try and do it and then they fail then they try again they fail and they fail even harder what would be a definition of clowning for for yourself that defines all of those different categories how does it relate to those categories you mentioned yeah i mean for me it's not necessarily that that cut and dried um i don't think clowning has to be about failure and trying um and it's a question that even though i've been doing it for a really long time still uh pursues me or i pursue it i don't know which way around it is really i i'm maybe one way of thinking about it is that i think clowning has to do with revealing revealing one's humanity in particular the vulnerable flawed aspects of one's humanity so obviously the 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 example you just mentioned of failing is one example of that right if i if i try something that's too hard for me and i fail and i fail maybe i succeed eventually i'm revealing my flaws right i'm revealing some kind of like ridiculous flawed aspect of of my humanity which a lot of people are going to be be able to relate to but there's lots of other kinds of flaws and vulnerabilities that we have that are common to our humanity and our experience of being human so for example um you know sadness sadness about things um uh being overly uh, reacting in a, in a completely over the top inappropriate way to something um you know these these are all or, or thinking that we can um uh, change the world by telling a telling a politician or speaking truth to a to a leader um or just having like a really intimate beautiful moment with with an audience member where we share some <clears throat> deep, deep moment of connection you know i think these are all examples of of clowning that, and they don't have to be funny they don't have to be about failure maybe what they are in a way is going beneath 
the social expectation, the social norm, kind of breaking that apart and seeing something very naked and vulnerable underneath that makes us feel deeply connected and can make us laugh because when when we realize that we're all the same we're all feeling and worrying and fearing the same things then that can produce laughter right we're like oh my gosh i thought it was just me and now i see you have the same fear it can be really funny or it can be just really profound and stunning or it can produce tears so yeah for me that's that's what clowning does it reveals that that deeper humanity that we all have in common and then we don't necessarily know how what reaction that's going to produce and that's the that's the that's the challenge of it all isn't it as a performer because when you repeat it again and again you lose the connection towards it and then you and the challenge is getting the audience to feel that again and again and you feel that again and again despite repeating the same thing again and again yeah yeah that is a huge challenge like how do you keep it fresh and and um real every single time rather than just a mechanical repetition of something i think for circus performers that must be a particularly difficult challenge and in fact i think probably a lot of clowning does just rely on on repetition and and, and not necessarily finding that connection but i think that's where clowning um maybe falls into kind of some of those stereotypes or ceases to become popular is where it's just being done in a routine repetitive kind of way you've brought on something that's a very interesting thing and i think this is alluding away from some of the questions i've asked but this is this is what i love about the podcast you don't know where it's going to go and you often find a question that you didn't expect to ask and i think this is one of them uh, so that people who don't know about clown have a clearer idea who were like performers either they be theater or circus clown, but also like therapeutic clowns. Uh, who were who good examples of those of different genres of clown and how do they operate, but achieve the same thing? Um, you mean actual people, actual examples of, of, of individuals? Yeah. Um, Well, gosh, there's so many, it's a hard question because there's just so many to choose from. Um, you know, in the therapeutic area, um, you know, there isn't anybody that's sort of well-known apart from maybe Patch Adams um, on the sort of international, on the international level. I've seen lots of people do it. Um, I suppose if, I suppose, I don't know, if you take, well, here's here's a good example. There's a guy named uh, Olivier Hugues uh, Terreau, who's French-Canadian. I had him on my Conversations podcast. And he clowns mostly for elderly people. 
uh, in senior homes, you know, old people's care homes. And one of the things that distinguishes his clowning is that it's really um, very, very intimate and caring. And he's really just forging these like beautiful moments of connection with people who have Alzheimer's often or dementia and, and, and memories are failing. But he, through eye contact and through just being very, very present and connecting with that person in the moment, he can bring them out of that kind of lost space that they're, that they're inhabiting in ways that their their nurses and carers say are, you know, incredible. Like they've never seen uh, some this person um, being so present, but so open, so verbal or communicative, for example. So, and he, and I think the, the key to it, what he talks about in his workshops is this just being super, super present and connected with that person and kind of going with them on a journey where that person is as much the leader as he is. So this is important because he's not just bringing some joke or comedy piece or some material that he's created and showing it. He's just coming with himself, right? And the skill is to be, is to just be super present, almost Zen-like kind of, and he's actually a Buddhist himself as well. And there's some interesting connections between clowning and Zen, Zen Buddhism, I think. Um, and by being super present in that way, by allowing himself to be led and to go on this journey with this individual, he, you know, there's this transformation that occurs. Um, for me, I think the same can be said for a really, really good theater theater clowning um so here and i'm trying to think of a, a good example of this it'll probably come to me in a minute but you know i think that that when i watch a really really good theater clown they have this same quality that although they've got a piece of material created what they're doing is being super present in the moment and really going on a journey with the audience, allowing the audience um, as much as themselves to guide what's happening. Um, political clowning, you know, I suppose um, the people that I just spoke of, Circus, the clandestine insurgent rebel clown army, if you watch videos, there are YouTube videos of them, you can see what they're doing is instead of kind of abruptly uh, criticizing the police or the army or whoever it is that they're kind of clowning with in those spaces, they are kind of in a way work trying to work to connect with those people. So it has, again, this kind of quality of listening, deep listening, deep connection, empathy, being very present, being very in the moment, playing a lot, rather than 
this is our political message that we want to tell everybody about and we hate the police right it doesn't have that rigidity it has a kind of softness to it and this ability to kind of mold itself and kind of kind of work its way into the cracks and into the corners of things and to you know it's clever it's actually very clever and wily but also very human and beautiful and connected and i think the same with with, with therapeutic clowning in hospitals right they've you've got to be you've got to be able to really adapt to the moment to connect with everybody around you and not just to see the negative or to get hung up on the structure or the hierarchy or the authority of the situation, but to really love, to bring love and connection to everything. So I'm sorry, I haven't been able to come up with any specific, too many specific names of people because it's like just the pressure in the moment of doing that. But hopefully that gives you a kind of more concrete sense of, for me, what it is that connects all these different kinds of clowning. Oh, I've lost your audio there, Marvin. Hello. Oh, there you are. The, there is so there is um, some clowning on um, like this. I watched a lot of them in Edinburgh, but there's like mm. I know that you've had them on a the podcast before, like Vigo Venn, for example. He's a very good. Would you say he's a theatre clown or like a what kind of clown would you describe him as? Yeah, well, this is really actually. Thank you for bringing that up because he's a really good example. Um, so Vigo, um, and now more examples are popping into my head, so that's good. Vigo is a very good example because he blends a lot of those different things together. And I think the reality is that a lot of clowns are not one of those things. They're not theater clowns or circus or variety or therapeutic. Actually they're doing a lot of all those things and they're, they're mixing it up because Vigo on one hand um, is kind of a variety performer, right? He, in Britain's Got Talent, he created these beautiful vignettes, these little five to 10 minute pieces um, that communicated very, very quickly, had a lot of very deliberate timing, uh, time deliberately timed comic moments that were that that come from a lot of planning and a lot of experience he's also reacting very much spontaneously to what happens in the moment because that was the beauty of that of those pieces he did was that he was able to respond to what simon cowell was doing or what the audience was doing or whatever what was going on around him and you could kind of see that spontaneity that most performers lack Right. Most performers in Britain's Got Talent or anywhere are just coming out and doing their thing. There isn't a lot of space for for. Improvisation or spontaneity, and it partly because it's extremely difficult and extremely risky because it can go really wrong if you don't know what you're doing before you come out. But what Vigo has is this ability to um, from experience to work with the moment and what the moment offers and the clown gods, like the, the balloon bursting in the wrong moment or um, things not going quite right. I think at one point Simon was supposed to 
uh, not have one of the high-vis jackets in the second piece, I think it was. He was deliberately supposed to not have one. Everyone else was going to have one, but he wasn't going to have one. So they didn't put one under his chair for him. But in the in the, in the actual event, he took one from somebody else and put it on and or was starting to put it on. And it was like, no, no, that's not supposed to happen. So Vigo actually ran down off the stage and took it off him, <laughs> which added this sort of interesting dynamic. Hmm. Um, so in a way, I think he's he's kind of from from that tradition of the variety. Uh, sl- sl- and what a lot of what Vigo does is bordering on stand up as well. You know, he has a microphone. A lot of the time, he talks. He has jokes. He has verbal stuff. But he also, if you watch his videos on his website, it's very weird, theatrical clowning, very existential, very um, quite profound, some of it, you know, very much in that in that genre, I would say, of theater and existential clowning. So he's definitely not so political, not maybe not so much in the sacred or the therapeutic, but he's definitely kind of in that circus slash theater <coughs> variety kind of area you know entertaining people but with this potential for for real depth could i show you a little clip and uh this is something that i've never quite understood but i've always been fascinated by and i oh, want yeah, to please. get your opinion on it because it's um so being in comedy there's a little bit of a like with gong shows they they, they show you, mm. a lot of the times you only get through them um if you're like a straight stand-up but Vigo Venn sort of broke the rule book in that and that he yeah. yeah let's get him on his name's Vigo Varen give it up for Vigo that's good
like he, he so it's five minutes um you the, the every comic that i see go on there they do straight sort of stand up they do like five minutes joke 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 but he's the only person that i've really seen apart from muscle hicks where he roasts the audience who got through it just doing that and it's it's intriguing because like logically it doesn't make any sense why it's so funny and brilliant but when you see it it's amazing yeah i mean it follows some rules all right i mean so for folks listening who didn't who didn't who couldn't see that um what he's doing is is basically uh, a combination of a very tight structure which consists of you know taking off the high-vis jackets um and that it, every time he takes off a high-vis jacket it's a cue it's it's a music cue so the same music comes back and when the music is playing he's dancing and kind of being raunchy and kind of putting his bum in people's faces and kind of like doing a little bit of a, a striptease type of feeling, but goofy idiot. And then, and then he's cutting the music off with this hand gesture, which becomes a kind of um, repeated joke in itself. And it's very, very tight. It's very important that it's very tight, you know, that the music stops right then because it creates this kind of moment of suspension and silence this point fix, right? Where he's just like really present with the audience in a space of almost nothing. And then he starts to look for things which are not planned. So everything up to now is sort of planned. But then in these moments where he stops the music, he's looking for opportunities to do goofy things that are not planned. And he just does whatever comes into his head, right? So if he sees some something interesting in the audience, he'll grab it. Uh, at one point, he just gave a high five to the person on the stage. Uh, at one point, he, um, what else? Oh, he started playing with the microphone stand and kind of messing with that. And then he takes that for as long as he possibly can. And it's at the point where he feels like the audience, he's starting to lose the audience or starting to lose that momentum, he'll take the next high-vis jacket off. And that's the cue for the next music for the music to come back in again right and he goes back into this familiar and the whole audience goes ah we know this we've seen this it's the music thing again where he's going to be a idiot striptease and do this thing and then he stops it again and then you don't know what's going to happen because he goes into this space of i'm going to mess with you now i'm going to do something unexpected and mess with you for a while until you get bored of that and then i'm going to take off the next one and go back to the music so it's actually, if you analyze it and break it down like that, it's super simple. It's just this structure with play improvisation moments woven into it. And he's he's crafted it in that way, I think, to kind of, um, it's almost like the repetition gives the audience a sense of um, security so they can enjoy it. When you have a, a comedian coming on and just telling one joke after another, after another, after another, the audience is always like, okay, but what, I don't know what's coming next. Or I don't know if this next bit is going to be funny or um, there's no structure to it, no integrity to it. Unless that comedian's very clever and it has a way of linking all those jokes in, in some way. But what he's done is instantly created this character with these defined movements and um, qualities that we get to know very, very quickly. And then we get to enjoy it as it as he 
keeps coming back to the same thing over and over again, but with always with some unexpected surprise qualities in these these in between bits. So that in that sense, it does make total sense why it works, right? Why it's funny. Because people, this is a weird, wacky, stupid thing. And we're like, what daft thing is he going to do next? But Yeah. Yeah. And we love repetition, right? I, I, there's, this, there's this clown called Holly Stop It. You may have heard of her. She's based in Bristol. And she's called Holly Stop It because she always just repeats things over and over and over and over and over and over and over again until people just say, Holly, stop it. And then you know, she keeps doing it. And she has this, instead of the rule of three, she has the rule of 53, I think. <laughs> like the more you do something, the funnier it gets is, is her, her logic. And I think there is some truth to that, that there is a ridiculousness inherent in repeating things again and again and again because it becomes ridiculous and and we just start laughing because it's so incongruous and ridiculous so i think the more he, the, right and when he did this in britain's got talent he he went back to the put ripping off the high-vis jacket like 10 times maybe at least each time a little bit bigger a little bit different but it's still the audience loves that repetition and they can't they laugh because they can't believe he's done the same thing again like what he's just you could see ant and jack back backstage being like what's going on he's just he's just doing the same thing over and over again but it's there's something hysterically funny about about that about repetition is there some elements in that in terms of like with acting like I, I did one acting class and they say you repeat the same line quite a few times to get the same to increase the emotional response you do it so many times that you get really emotional with that line. Right. Maybe. Yeah. It's, it's sort of like you go beyond the, the, the obvious. Oh, but it was, it was quite a well-planned thing from Vigo. Like, first of all, if he's going with a high-vis jacket, doing a funny dance, funny music, he gets people attention first of all, doesn't he? And people were like, Oh, what daft things are you going to do next? And because it works, they're like, oh, and then they like that bit. So he, oh, yes, yes, I see, I see it. So first of all, but he's he's taken a while to figure that bit out that works and he plays with it and he does the bits in between to keep them on their toes so that they keep watching. And that's why he doesn't get gonged off because people want to know what daft thing is going to do. Yes. Next. It's like, a... it's amazing. Did, did you see his show in Edinburgh? I did indeed. It was What did he do? What was what was it like? So he did the balloon thing where he got popped, but he got someone else to do it and then he up chasing them. It was I don't know what to say about it. It's I liked it, it was good, but maybe yeah, I don't know. I maybe I'm not maybe it was very good. It killed very well when it was brilliant. But maybe because I've seen his a lot of his stuff online, maybe I didn't enjoy it as much. But then you said with repetition, maybe you like it more. I, I don't know. Yeah. I think it's interesting. If didn't see it. I you probably... could appreciate it maybe as a you could appreciate the craft of it. Um but maybe because it's not surprising to you anymore, it's less funny. Yes. That's what I think happened with me. Yeah.
and I saw his missus, uh, uh, Julia Masley. I mean, her show was very, very good. She did the same sort of thing as well, where she got her wooden leg out and would play. Do you have a problem? And then she'd get someone to say something. She'd get on stage. Yeah. Then there'll be a music cue, and then that was the same sort of thing throughout the show. It, yeah, they're, they're incredible clowns, both of them, and they're probably two of the best clowns to have come up from Golia. And they're very, they're very slick in what they do. But so many people will think that there isn't any thought or any skill in it. Like, so, but if you go into it, like you said, there, there is a lot of thought, and there's a lot, even though it's simple, it's very well executed. Mm. It takes a mm. lot. Of to execute things perfectly like they do. Yeah, absolutely. Is, is there any um, sort of circus clowns that really intrigue you? Because this is one thing that I've, I've really been interested in. I've got this mm -hmm. book of clown scenes, which I'm going to look into, but I've always, a lot of the clowns that I come across, they're all theatre or I know you say they were similar, but they're based on the genre of they go to Golio, they go to the cock and do clowning, but they don't necessarily go to a circus school. And I haven't seen, I'm intrigued to see how they do things and just see how. It... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because circus clowning differs a lot by country and culture. Um, in South America, I've spent a lot of time studying clowns and the circus clowning is very raunchy and kind of sexy and uh very very energetic you know the clowns are kind of youthful and they run around and dance a lot um and there's a lot of music in the you know live like they're playing musical instruments and stuff and dancing um the american circus clowns you know are very big on sort of particularly the three ring circus, you know, these big, um, they, they call it walk-in clowning where, you know, they've just got basically a few seconds and a big giant prop and they're just making a couple of gags and then they run off again. Um, and then, you know, European, a lot of European circus clowning is, is much more it's much more theatrical in a way it's like they have more time they come on they can do a whole um scene really and that's clown scenes book that you were talking about you know speaks to a an a golden age of european circus clowning where they had scripts and they were talking and they were almost like little scenes comedy scenes with with wonderful clowns and amazing acrobatics uh but i don't really know what the state of british circus clowning is right now you know circus in a way is sort of a dying genre i think so and then there's the whole circuit du soleil kind of contemporary circus clowning which is a different thing again because it's there you don't really see clowns in recognizable form with red noses and so on you see much more character-based clowning in Cirque du Soleil and the clown characters are the ones that carry the whole show. You know, they're the characters that give storytelling and narrative and structure to the entire show, which otherwise is really just a variety show of different amazing acts. Hmm. 
so it's many circus clowning is many different things one so this would be a short question but who were like particular artists that you found interesting that in encapsulate those styles like the south american who's an artist that you're like this is what they're doing it's really brilliant how they do this yeah um well there's a there's a very famous uh chilean uh, clown from chile um whose name i'm completely forgetting right now but i'm just gonna look it up and then i'll be able to tell you um it's that thing where you know i'm just in the spotlight and i can't remember um pastelito that's his name pastelito is uh one of the most famous clowns in south america and in certainly in chile he's like a superstar you know celebrity and he's probably in his 30s he's pretty young and that's like i said he has this kind of very very youthful vibrant raucous kind of energy very mischievous and um you know, a little bit like Vigo in that sense that he'll go up to people in the audience and and kind of like you know um do like thrusting his hips into people and like being really raunchy and sitting on women's laps and uh bringing people out into the in, onto the ring and doing um kind of you know pseudo sexual sort of jokes with them um so Pastelito, yeah, he's he's a Chilean guy. Um, you know, I think in in terms of Cirque du Soleil, there's been a bunch of amazing clowns. You know, John Gilkey was was an amazing Cirque du Soleil clown. Jeff Raz, Michelle Matlock, these are all people that I've had on my conversations show, and they've they've all been stars in in Cirque du Soleil shows. Um, the European circus clowns, I'm not so familiar with the names of them. I mean, there's Slava, obviously. Slava is a huge, you know, huge name in clowning, Russian clown. Slava Snow Show is probably the most successful, well-known clown show ever. It's toured. Yeah, it still tours internationally. Slava himself doesn't perform in it anymore. He has other people, other actors or performers clowns who perform the the main role but they're always sort of doing versions of slava hmm. slava palunin is his full name okay and what of all the things that are going on clowning i i spoke to zuma puma on a podcast a while ago and one of the things was like it is a good film and I, I, did you see that interview with um, Dan Lees where they tried to pinhole him to saying clowns a certain thing? But No. Maybe I'll, I could show you it. Let me see if I can find it. Dan Lees interviewing clowning. But it, it's, it's, a, it's a misunderstood art form. Yeah. And what is the most, what's the thing that sort of you find irritating about it from when I can't find a clip yet but what's what's the thing you find irritating about it when you get people from outside of clowning trying to ask you about clowning like they say oh is it all just crusty the clown or it 
Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's all these kind of misunderstandings of what clowning is um, based on that movie. That movie did a lot of damage, but I think it it goes much deeper than that because I think there is an, you know, clown clown costume in the U- in the U.S. has been a Halloween costume for a long time. You know, a a, a sort of horror image, and I think that there is kind of something about clowns that is inherently a little bit scary long before that move, that Stephen King um, movie. Um, and I think maybe it speaks to the, the power of clowns that clowns, for example, in native American societies, clowns are feared, you know, we, we laugh at them and we love them, but we also fear them for good reason and the reason is that they have this ability to speak the truth and think about it like most of us are terrified of the truth we don't want people to know the truth about us or our real nature we we spend a lot of time hiding that right we spend a lot of energy trying to come across um as a certain image or a way that we, we, we want people to see us in the world. Um, and if the clown comes in and is able to pull back that, peel back that mask and show what we're really like, uh, maybe in a very literal way, in some cases, you know, like clowns and you hear stories of native American clowns actually in public, a public forum, like in a public square or some, or in even in somebody's house, um acting out uh, a shameful thing that a person in the audience has done as a way of punishing them publicly as a way of kind of shaming them publicly so there is this danger this aspect of danger that clowns bring into the world because they they, they say they, they might reveal our true nature they speak the truth and i think that my theory anyway is that this whole scary clown fearful clown horror clown thing actually is but is rooted in some deep unconscious awareness we have of the clown's power to um reveal things we don't want people to see (laughs) Mm. yeah Effectively, we all have a dark side and the clown and we all have a stupid side and it makes us feel un- uncomfortable truths about ourselves because we, yeah, effectively, yeah. What we don't want to hear effectively. Yeah. And, you know, my my sort of goal with my business, with Clown Spirit, which um, if you don't mind me sort of talking about that a little bit, is to educate, to re-educate people around clowning, what clowning is. Like I... I want people to understand the depth and the power and the integrity of clowning who people, not just clowns themselves who already know, but the public, you know, the world in general. So that's a big part of my mission in, in my business clown spirit. And with the clown spirit, with clown conversations podcast, what has it, 
what what have they both taught you? Because I found like doing a podcast has been amazing in some ways. Because I've, as you said, I've had a mm. lot on here, and I've learned things about comedy and about other things that will probably take me years to figure out had I not had some of the great people I've had on there. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm learning things from people all the time. It's amazing. I mean, every week I get to have these magical, deep conversations with these great artists and wonderful people. Um, I mean, every every week, you know, I learn something new. Um, I had, I'm trying to think of one example, I had, um, there's this wonderful German clown called Gardi Hutter, who's female, uh, very, very well known in Germany. And it's theatrical clowning, really. She creates whole full-length theater shows with just her, just solo shows, where she's in clown and she's presenting. She has these amazing sets that she she has built for her, which are whole worlds, you know, different, different, and and, and different um, themes that she inhabits. And it's a kind of storytelling, mostly silent. There's some kind of gibberish, some sounds but she doesn't really speak in words. Uh, anyway, her inter interview with her was amazing. Um, and I remember one of the things she said, which stuck was always stuck with me, is that um, clowning like, is, is really like any creative process. When she's starting to make a show, she, she finds that there comes a point where she has to share this idea with, with other people. So she can have an idea that's kind of going around inside her head. But then at some point she has to like gather a, a group of people together and sort of tell them about her idea. And then in the telling of the idea, she finds out whether it's a good idea or not. And then she can go back to the idea and refine it or change it or whatever. But it was just really interesting that there's something inherently communal, you know, about the creative process that we can't somehow just do it on our own and then just put it out there. There has to be this kind of conversation, this communication back and forth. And I think that's one of the things I love about clowning and art in general, right? Is it's a it's it's this it's this way of communicating and connecting with one another on this deep level and a level that's not um, to do with the sort of the banality of everyday life, you know, if there's like work and money and eating and all these things, it's to do with, it's, it's, it has this sort of profound, more profound quality. So yeah, I just, I learn so much from all these people every time. It's do you, do you one thing I've found about the podcast is that I never know what's gonna happen before it goes on. It yeah. and I know and it's always surprising the guests that will give great like there's so many things that they would say things that you wouldn't expect from them if you were surface, judging people on the surface level. And there's things that I've kept in my head for many years from it. Um if what do you think um 
what's been a moment where you've where someone's like because you've been where you feel where you've been amazed at the impact you've had like on your followers or people that have done your course what's been something that's happened recently where someone's got mm. finally be king yeah like i used to be a road man now like you turn me into a priest <laughs> yeah yeah i get i get quite a lot of that it's very cool and very satisfying i have a a program that i run called clown for life and clown for life is a coaching program basically you know people are paying kind of a subscription like a membership to be part of the of the program and they come to these weekly um coaching sessions and online it's all on zoom and it's usually a group of you know however many people come that week and we we tackle whatever projects or questions people individuals in that group have that you know going on and over time it's amazing what you see you know people are coming in to the beginning of the pro that program with almost no experience sometimes or very little experience or sometimes more experience but those with no experience and within like six months or, or a year they are um performing like doing clown work in public or in different spaces or make or just making creative work and putting it out into the world um one of my clients for example is um you know a, a year ago had never really never clowned before and she came into the program and she started creating these little five minute pieces for um private events in her life that were happening in her life so there was some kind of party there was like her husband's birthday there was some kind of anniversary different you know different family and community events and she would plan specific clown routines that were quite carefully um scripted that and that we we created them in these coaching sessions you know we honed them over a number of weeks and then she would go into this event that was on a particular date and do the piece and uh, video it so that then the next week she would bring the video back so we could all in the coaching session we could all watch how it went and and she's done I think four or five of those and each time it just gets she kind of pushes the boat out more you know and and takes more risks and gets better and it's just incredible how much joy you see in her just like how much release and pleasure and kind of fulfillment she's getting from doing this and how how much skill she's developed in one year is also kind of incredible. You know, she's these videos we're watching of her of her work uh, is lovely, and now she's just told me in the last couple of weeks that she's she feels like she's ready to create a longer piece now, like her own, more like a clown show instead of just these little these little vignettes in different places. She wants to create. So there's the stories like that. A lot of people um, who come into my work. There's, I got an, another email from somebody recently who said that they, I because I teach this clown red nose meditation, I call it, which is a series of breaths and movements that in, call in your clown energy. And I've taught it to her maybe th three years ago. And she emailed me to say she uses it all the time. And it, and it helps her so much to get through the day, to get through her life. And that she sometimes when she's having difficulty 
with her kids, for example, like a difficult moment at work, she'll just do like a like a 10 second version of the red nose clown meditation. And it'll ground her and help her bring come back into her sort of light energy and to deal with those moments. And she was just writing to me to sort of thank me for for giving her this really practical tool in her life. So, yeah, it's it's very cool. I loved what I do and having this potential to kind of really impact people's lives and give people benefit. Do we get a 10 second teaser <laughs> <laughs> of the of the red nose clown meditation? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's very it's really very simple. Um, so. All you're doing is you're breathing the six directions. Um, and so with the first direction, which is north, you're breathing, you're imagining breathing in through through your feet and up through your body, but it's more like the energy, right? It's breath, but it's also the energy coming up through through your legs. And then you breathe it out through your belly, straight out in, into the world in front of you like that. So that's just one of the directions of, of six and it's north. The six directions, right? North, south, east, west, above, and below. And each direction has its own breath and it brings a different quality of the clowning. And and it can even be different each day you do it. But for me right now, like if I imagine, it'd be different if I was standing up even, I'm sitting down right now, but breathing in through the feet and the legs and then breathing out into the world. It kind of immediately takes me into a into a place of like a bit like amazement and wonder, but also like like power, but a kind of clownish power, right? Like I can I can manipulate the world. I can change the world. It gives me this feeling, and then I might go into south, and it would give me a different feeling, and east and west. Uh, so yeah, that's a little. There's a little teaser. What more of that you have to pay him, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do teach that stuff for free sometimes. I, I teach free workshops occasionally, very occasionally. So if you join, if you want to know about those, you can just go to my website and join the mailing list. My website is www.clown-spirit.com. And you'll be very quickly asked to join the mailing list if you go to that website. And if you're on the mailing list, you'll find out about all these lovely things that I do, paid stuff, but also free stuff. Yeah. And wow, that that's guys, you you know that's that's been Barnaby King. So you know where to go to find out about him. And if there's any sort of if there's any What's what is the biggest thing? How has clowning changed you? And what is one bit of advice you give to performers listening up there now? Mm. Oh gosh, so many things that clowns change me. Um, you know, I just in some ways I've always been a really serious person. This is the psychological. This takes me back to the first question you asked me right about what I decided to be a clown. I think I've always been a really serious person. When I was a kid, people would 
come up to me and say, hey, you know, why the sad face? And or things like that are like, uh, cheer up. It could be worse. You know, really annoying things people say. To, and I'm like, this is just how my face looks. I'm not I'm not unhappy. <laughs> but I, I have I have always been a serious person. I've taken myself and my life quite seriously. And that can be a really good thing. Right. I don't want to diss that. I don't want to say you shouldn't take your life seriously because frankly, you've only got one. And if you're not going to take it seriously, what's the point? But at the same point, at the same time, it's the clown has taught me to take it seriously, but also to kind of realize that um that you have to let go of stuff, I think is one way of putting it. You have to rise above the pet petty squabbles and frustrations and jealousies and disappointments and regrets and all those things. Like the, this ability to kind of bring a, a lightness, to bring a sense of fun and playfulness and like, hey, you know, we can, we can be in the shit and still have fun can be in the shit together and it can be a pleasurable joyful experience so it, you know psychologically it's helped me a lot therapeutically cathartically as a, as a person my self-development to not take myself so seriously all the time um because i because i fuck up all the time you know i i screw up all the time just like everybody so if I if I was to take myself seriously all the time, I'd be miserable because I'm like failing a lot. Hmm. So I maybe and maybe my advice would be along those lines, like fail. Don't be afraid to fail. Just do do what gives you pleasure. Lean into what what you desire and what's fun and enjoyable for you. And don't be afraid of that. Don't feel like it's not legitimate or allowed because it's, because it's fun. So you've got to work hard, but you've also got to have fun. And if you can do both at the same time, maybe that's the thing, Marvin. Can you find the thing that you love doing so much that you're willing to work really hard at it, work at having fun? If you can find that thing, you've really got the gold, you know. Hmm. That's great, man. Brilliant. Now, <laughs> for anyone that wants, you've you spent, you've given the details of your course, but is there anything else that you'd like to plug in the episode for anyone that's listening in now? I've got around a hundred of people from across the world listening in on this, so... Yeah, just come on over and check us out. I mean, there's also a Facebook group called The Way of the Clown, which is run by Clown Spirit. So come and join the Facebook group. Uh, there's a lot of fun stuff going on there, The Way of the Clown. Check out YouTube channel, which is Clown Spirit. And that's where you'll find the conversations that are weekly live streams with, with different clowns. And also, obviously, there's about 70 of them that I've done already. So they're all there. Um, but if you want to get deeper into clowning, then um, 
I have this really cool program, which uh, I, I, it's the thing that I'm most excited about at the moment. And I haven't even mentioned it yet. And it's called clown X. Um, this is one I'd recommend for you actually, Marvin. Um, clown X is masterclasses with great clown, clown teachers every month. So each month we have a different clown teacher and these are like top level clown teachers. People like Avna the Eccentric, who's one of the best uh, clowns. He's a, a beautiful, funny object manipulator kind of clown uh, American. Anyway, he's one of the people who taught every month. It's a two and a half hour Zoom class with just packed full of technical information, advice, practical exercises and on different themes each month. And it's super affordable. I mean, you know, you can pay monthly or you can pay annually and get it even cheaper. So if you're interested in that at all, again, you can find it on my website, which is clown-spirit.com. You'll find, you'll see Clown X. Um, as one of the options there on that on that website and uh, yeah it's a growing community of people as well there's there's about i think about 70 people at the moment who are part of that program um so every month when you come on the zoom call you know there's a bunch of other clowns there all doing their thing and it's a really nice kind of community feeling and then we have a teacher leading us through through a different session but then there's also the Clown for Life program that I mentioned before, which is more of the coaching. And then I also have I also teach this eight-week course, which I mentioned earlier, called the Clown Connection. And that's just a group of 10 people. Uh, twice a year, I teach that. And it's got these eight units on these different kind of approaches to clowning. And it's more of a deep dive into clown. Is that in person or it's online? It's online, isn't it? It's all online, yeah. I mean, I don't... I occasionally teach in person, mostly locally here. I occasionally go abroad and teach something somewhere. But these days, I'm just doing it online and, and loving it. Nice and effective. Like, boom, it's there. Yeah, and it's a market, you know. I think people need it because not everyone has a clown workshop. Um, not everyone lives in London or or... New York or wherever there are clown workshops going on, people people need this stuff wherever they are, and everyone's got an internet connection. Yeah, you're making clown more accessible. Exactly. That's what I'm trying to do, yeah. Now, guys, I hope you've enjoyed Barnaby. I've certainly enjoyed it. It's definitely been an eye-opener in certain aspects. Um, you know where to go. Give this podcast review and five star review on amazon or itunes and make sure you follow the next episode because the next guest is going to be a comedy promoter who's come from canada all the way to singapore so i'll see you guys soon <laughs>